It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. The other side of midnight presents. This is Frank's Conspiracy Hour. I don't think there is a conspiracy that has more captivated the attention and the imagination of conspiracy theorists over the course of the last 59 years than the question of who shot John F. Kennedy. Did Lee Harvey Oswald act alone? Was there a second shooter? Was it the mob? Was it the CIA? Was it the Soviet Union? Was it Cuba? Was it Woody Harrelson's father? Was it Ted Cruz's father? Was it aliens? Was it aliens working with the mob, Woody Harrelson's father, Ted Cruz's father, uh, the CIA, and the Soviet Union? And there seems to be a lot of different theories out there about what occurred. But... The one thing that is undeniable is that the government is doing whatever it can to stop (laughs) a lot of documents from being unearthed 59 years ago. Rifle shots rang out in Dealey Plaza, leaving President Kennedy mortally wounded. And here we are in the year 2022, and there are still more than 14,000 classified documents related to the president's murder locked away in part or in full at the National Archives in clear violation of the spirit of a law that was passed 30 years ago calling for the release of these documents. Now, remember what was going on 30 years ago. You had the Oliver Stone film JFK with Kevin Costner as the New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison, and a whole new renewed interest. This renewed my interest in it, as a matter of fact. You had a whole renewed interest in the Kennedy assassination and a lot of people calling on the government to release these documents, release these documents, in spite of whatever factual problems there were with that film. And they passed this law in reaction to the public outcry. And there's supposed to be documents released by this period, by that period. Why are there still 14,000 classified documents Locked away. One person who never really believed that the government was going to release these documents was Kermit Hall. He served from 1994 to 1998 on the Assassination Records Review Board, which reviews and releases to the public documents related to the assassination of President Kennedy. Here are some remarks that he made in 1998. While the board is going away today, its work continues. The echo of our efforts will be heard literally for uh, the next decade or longer. But it also depends, since uh, some of these documents have been postponed in their release until uh, the year 2017, and in some cases earlier, it depends on all of us uh, to keep the people who are in the agency's uh, feet to the fire so that uh, when those dates come uh, for documents to be opened, that uh, they don't shirk. Uh, their legal and constitutional responsibility and really the moral responsibility that's entailed in our act, actions in making sure that the American public has the opportunity to come to terms with the issue of whether or not its own government participated in the murder of the President of the United States uh, back uh, back in the early 1960s. Well, much like his namesake famous frog, Kermit was absolutely prophetic. Today's leaders have shirked 
their legal constitutional legal constitutional and moral responsibilities to release these documents. One gentleman who is doing whatever he can to get the government to live up to the bargain that it made with the public is Larry Schnaff. He is an attorney who is uh, leading a lawsuit to force the government to comply with this 1992 law and release these documents. Kind enough to join us this morning. Larry, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Thanks, Frank, and you've done your research. Hey, I try. I, I've, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm, I can't compete with what you've done, and uh, you're doing, I think, a public service for everybody. Tell me about your story, Larry. Obviously, uh, you have a, a pretty diverse legal career, and you could get involved in any number of causes, any number of cases. Why did you choose to pick this one? Why file the lawsuit over these records being released? Well, the, uh, the Congress said 30 years ago that 30 years was enough. And they want an expeditious review uh, release of the records. And they gave till October 26th, 2017, to release the rest of the records. The records that were not released when the Assassinations uh, Records Review Board went out of business in 1998 were held back on the grounds that they posed an identifiable risk uh, to national security. Um, and they were to be, they figured another 25 years would be enough time to then release them. Well, in uh, 2017, in uh, October 2017, President Trump postponed the release of the records for six more months. And then in 2018, he then further released, uh, postponed the release for another three and a half years. Now, I have a separate lawsuit that was filed against National Archives. And while I was seeking the underlying correspondence um, in those decisions, to postpone the records. And what mm. the American people don't know, the public record is that the National Archives recommended to the president both of the postponements and said both postponements comply with the law. But the records I have received shows that the National Archives actually objected to the grounds for postponement that were being asserted by the CIA and the FBI. The FBI um, has about 7,400 records they're holding back, and 6,000 of them involve the mafia. So it has nothing to – the National Archives is not the villain of our story here. No, it's the CIA no, and the FBI. No, and they don't have the same power that the Assassinations Review Board had. The Assassinations Review Board had the ability to overrule the agencies, and then the only option they had was to go up to President Clinton at the time and ask for him to overrule the agencies, uh, the, the ARB. Um, the National Archives now, what they can do is they can, like, push back, but at the end of the day – uh, they can't overrule. And so actually what's going on right now as we're talking, uh, according to President Biden, so last year President Biden further postponed the release of the records on the grounds of the pandemic. <laughs> I, that, that was crazy. We talked about that at the time. So as it stands now, what is the status of the lawsuit or lawsuits to, one, uh, get the records and, two, get the correspondence related to the records? So the lawsuit against the president in the National Archives was filed in the Northern District of California. Uh, it was filed on behalf of the Mary Farrell Foundation, which has a it's an educational um, uh, nonprofit that has probably the most viewed uh, inventory uh, on the assassination by you know historians. It's, it's like the first place everyone goes. They go there before they go to the National Archives. Um, so that we filed our complaint. The government has to file an answer. Uh, they'll probably file it sometime 
after the first of the year. We have a status conference scheduled for January, and then uh, we'll find out what the schedule is for further actions. My lawsuit against the the National Archives from last year, the government settled the case almost immediately, and they've been giving me document dumps every month. Wow. Okay, well that's great. I mean that uh, shows. Uh, I guess you're uh, you're on the right track in terms of winning these lawsuits. Now, uh, I guess the more interesting part for a lot of people By is. By the way, Frank, uh, mm-hmm. it's not just the agencies that are holding back records. The Kennedy family is as well. The Robert Kennedy, when he right after the president was killed, he went into the Oval Office and grabbed all these records and absconded with them, and they have been kept all these years. Wow. Uh, they have not yet been released to the to the Digital National Archives. Um, in fact, uh, the, ARB, the ARB was negotiating with the Robert F. Uh, Kennedy Trust, Family Trust, to release the records at the time they went out of business. And not only are those records not been given to the National Archives, but there were several outstanding records requests made by the, by the ARB when they went out of business. And I think that's what probably Kermit was talking about as well. Mm. NARA has never, National Archives, no one has pursued those outstanding uh, record searches that the ARB requested. I have also requested that the House Oversight Committee conduct oversight on the fair of the executive branch to comply with the law. Um, I think now that we have a change in, the minist- in, in Congress, we might have a better chance to get a hearing. The Democrats were not too willing to hold a hearing in the fall because it would potentially embarrass the president. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Um, let's talk about what these documents, obviously with 14,000 documents, potentially, I imagine it covers a lot of ground, but what are some of these documents that the government is refusing to release either in part or, or wholly? Well, there are ones that we know, so there are known knowns, and then there's a bunch of unknowns mm-hmm. because the collection is a mess. But we know there are records um, about Mexico City when Oswald allegedly went to Mexico City uh, in September of 1963 and allegedly was in contact with a KGB agent in the Russian embassy and allegedly went to uh, the Mexican embassy as well. Um, Jeff Morley, who's one of my colleagues on this lawsuit, believes that there are the records the CIA is holding back um, could show some the fact that the CIA may have had, had an operational interest in Lee Oswald before the assassination, and certainly knew about him much, you know, more than what they have uh, admitted. Um, there are some records also about this guy Joe Anides, who ran, who was in charge of the Cuban exile DRE group. Uh, they were they were being subsidized by the CIA. And they ran lots of operations out of New Orleans, and the CIA has absolutely refused to turn those over. They claimed they weren't assassination records. So um, part of our lawsuit is not only an order asking the government to turn over these documents, but we're also asking the court to order those records to be called assassination records. We're also asking the court um, to order some tapes that were made of Carlos Marcello when he was in jail in the Camtex uh, sting operation where he allegedly uh, confessed to planning the assassination. So those have been sealed, and we're trying to – our order is also trying to get those released. Now, I said the FBI has about 6,000 mafia documents. The CIA has – you know, their documents that are intelligence-related. And, you know, what possible grounds – here's an example of a stupid situation. 
um, last year, last December, some documents were released, and one of them was a CIA document about Oswald in Japan. There was nothing in the memo that we did not already know. But the reason it was being withheld all these years was because the information was gathered by our listening station in Australia. And in the 1960s, the Australian government had asked us not to let it be known that we had a CIA listening station on their soil. So in 2017, the CIA requested these documents to be postponed, and President Trump granted it. Now, at the same time that the CIA is requesting this postponement, there's a TV show, popular TV show in Australia called Pine Gap, which is what about? It's about a listening station in, this, in, in <laughs> Australia. Um, so as far as the why these agencies, and we can have a, a separate discussion about the Kennedy family, but the CIA, the FBI, why do you think, do you think it's a reflection of not wanting things like that listening station to be publicly revealed? Is it a reflection of the fact that Oswald was on their radar screen and they don't want to be exposed for the malfeasance of the people that were running the agency in 1963? Maybe there's a question of uh, criminal negligence there. Why do you think these agencies are working so hard to keep so many documents from the public? Yeah, I think they're, that's all of those. I think they... They feel that uh, now. I I think there there probably are some documents that are genuinely um, like we may have made promises to. So let's say there may have been people that worked for the Mexican government who were working for us as well, and so we may have learned stuff about Oswald through these people, and they may have made promises to those people that the names will never be revealed, and so I could see the agency now if those people are still alive or. Uh, if their family members are still alive and there's a potential they have to make a finding of, of identifiable harm, then maybe that might be a grounds for, um, you know, postponement. But aside from something like that, you know, uh, the, I would be the idea that somehow uh, the way we collect information now and the way we collect information 59 years ago is the same would be quite an embarrassment. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, I, I certainly hope that's not the case. Yeah, and embarrassment is specifically not a grounds in the statute for failing to disclose a record. So I think you're right. It's 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 embarrassment. It's revealing names, um, and I think the mafia is a little more complicated because there's for different reasons. But uh, I think that's and the problem is that they don't tell. See, the president when he post when Trump postponed the records and when Biden postponed the records, they were supposed to give a document by document explanation in a non-classified way, explaining to the American people why this particular document, why the identifiable harm outweighed the strong public interest in the information. And they never did that. Both President Trump and President Biden just made this sweeping assertion that all 15,000 records pose an imminent substantial endangerment. So we're saying that they did not comply with the law because they did not make that document by document, and it's based on clear and convincing evidence which is like a criminal standard. Right. The obligation right. is on the agency to establish that there's this identifiable harm that outweighs the public interest. Yeah, the, the one that surprised me the most was the decision by President Trump because Trump's whole life in the public has been about 
uh, I don't know, uh, poking the the bear in terms of many of these different conspiracy theories. And uh, he didn't really seem to be somebody that respected a lot of the institutional sacred cows. So to think that he would um, continue this tradition of uh, the uh, the intelligence community who he has had no problem being quite critical of, this wall of silence that they want to put up before the public, that that's what really surprised me. I mean, Biden's been in Washington most of his life. He's an institutional guy. I'm not surprised that he would go along with what these bureaucrats and what these agencies wanted. The Trump uh, decision really did surprise me. Do you have a theory as to why Trump went along with that? Yes. And in fact, I had the same reaction you did, because two days before the deadline, President Trump said he was going to release the rest of the records. Now, what my lawsuit against the National Archives for the underlying correspondence shows was that in both uh, starting in July of 2017 and March of 2018, there were drafts circulating between amongst the National Security Council of the NARA, the agencies, about postponing records. And so, like, the, the, the versions of the, of the memos of the archivist, the public document from the archivist recommending to the president to postpone the records for another three and a half years was version 13. So what I, fa- what I realized was that the president do, didn't know what was going on. He was going to release them, and then he was told by his National Security Council people, no, we're not releasing them. That's, so, that's I mean, wild. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you can see, I mean, there's 13 versions of a, of a memo going on while the president is saying this. So they just, you know, they, they just put them in a box. Do you have a theory, and if people just tune in, we're talking with Larry Schnopf. Uh, Larry, by the way, if people are interested in learning more about your lawsuit, what you're doing, why you're doing it, what's the best place for them to do that? We have a Mary Farrell Foundation um, has a a page devoted to the website. So that's probably the best place. We have the articles that have been published since the website was, uh, I mean, since the lawsuit was filed, and we have the complaint there. Um, So that's probably the best place to go. Um, It's, uh, I think it's mff.org, but just type in Mary Farrell, and it's F E R R E L L Foundation. And uh, as and if people are curious as to not what the agencies are trying to hide, because it seems like the CIA and the FBI are always trying to hide something from the public. What about the Kennedy family? I would think the people most interested in getting to the truth about what happened would be the descendants and the relatives of John F. Kennedy. Why are they working so hard to keep some of these documents from going public? So here's my theory. It's not a popular theory amongst my fellow people, uh, JFK researchers, because I'm essentially right of center. And most of my people that, you know, are in the JFK community uh, worshipped John Kennedy. And they felt that he was killed because of these novel, these noble policy differences with the uh, with the intelligence apparatus in the country. Um, My theory. uh, And again, this is just me. We know for a fact that Joe Kennedy, the father of Robert and, and, and John, had two mafia contracts out on him uh, because he was violating the rules in the 40s and early 50s for transporting booze. And he went to call us, he went to Sam Giacana and begged him to, uh, to, to remove, to terminate the contract. And Giacana said, why should I help you? Why don't you talk to the guy directly? He says, I can't because my boy's going to run for president. I just can't be seen talking to these people, which, of course, pissed off Giacana. 
Bajik, but then he says, look, if you do this for me, you're going to have a friend in the White House. And so we all heard stories about, you know, Giacana helping Chicago win Chicago for Kennedy, but um, he, this promise is made, and then what happens as soon as they get in the office, uh, Joseph Kennedy tells John to put Robert in charge of the, you know, attorney general in charge of the Department of Justice, and he goes after the mafia. Mm-hmm. One of the mm-hmm. first things he does is deports Carlos Marcello and drops him off. The guy's going to his immigration office show uh, meeting, pick, gets picked up at the airport, is dumped in the middle of the Guatemala jungle. <laughs> and um, so I think I would say John Kennedy died a dishonorable death. I think the family is trying to hide the fact. Let, let's, let's think about 1964. At that time, nobody knew uh, that we were, co- we were coordinating with the mafia to try to kill Castro. Um, and so – and that jo- Bobby Kennedy was leading that effort. And I think that if – and no one knew about um, John Kennedy's womanizing. All the other things are going on. So if that information had come out, if you start, if you start doing a true investigation – and Oswald, for example, Oswald's uncle worked for Carlos Marcello as a bookie. Um, and so there's lots and, – and Ruby was clearly uh, mobbed up despite mm-hmm. what, what the Warren Commission said. And if you, start, if you start sniffing around – here's the other interesting thing. Frank Costello used to fix races for, for Hoover, and they knew – so whenever I, I advanced the theory that it was the mafia that killed the president, they say, well, the mafia couldn't control uh, the investigation. Ah, they didn't have to because they knew Hoover was not going to do anything. Hoover did not assign his best people to the investigation. He didn't assign his Cuba experts. He didn't assign his Soviet experts. He didn't assign his mafia experts. He assigned his bank inspectors. You know, and, and, and when they started sniffing around New Orleans, suddenly he declared that the investigation mm-hmm. is Hey, we're going to have to end it there. Uh, okay. We're going to take calls from some folks on this throughout the program. Really an interesting discussion. I'm wishing you the best of luck with this lawsuit. If you could keep me posted on this, I will. I, I, I'd appreciate it. And we'd definitely love to have you back whenever there's developments, whether it's in January, before or after. I appreciate it very well, much, next, Larry Schnapp. Uh, Frank, it's December 15th. That's Do- when the, uh, there's going to be – we know there are going to be some records released on December 15th. But well, Let's talk then, and uh, you can help us analyze them, Larry. Okay, great. Okay, Thank you very much. Much. Larry, me to speak. Larry Schnaff, if you want to uh, talk about anything we just covered, you can. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.